Um, weakness never hurt a man of God. Only strength. I'm going to talk today about being ashamed and not being ashamed. But to begin, let's pray. And I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be here today. And to stand in front of you men. It's always kind of, a, it's extremely humbling. You know, I've always said that COVID-19 was God's judgment on Bible conferences. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I like them, but it's, it's humbling because of this. Um, you recognize that you're preaching to men. Thank you. And many of them have forgotten more about God than me. Many of them are so much more holy than I am. Um, the only reason I'm up here is because I'm the runt of the litter. You and I, but let's just talk about you before I pray. This applies to both of us, but I want to talk to you. You have no idea how much God loves you. If you could catch just a glimpse of the love of God toward you, your name, it would fracture you into a million pieces. And that's the pain of the preacher, isn't it? That we know that we do not fully at all even begin to comprehend the love of God. And we know that even what we know we can't express. And so we mourn. But we also wait for that day, don't we? Some of you pastor churches that are kind of small. Life is tough. You come to a conference and you think that someone like me speaking in front of everybody, well, that's, that's proof of God being on him. No, it's not. No, it's not. A friend of mine one time, he, uh, he was an old country preacher, but he's the smartest man I ever met. He said, why would God plant the most beautiful rose he ever made in a forest through which no man would ever walk? How does God get glory out of that? He gets glory out of it because he sees it every day. And some of you need to realize that. We should not judge by worldly standards, by the size of ministries or how well known we are. I've spent big part of my life on the mission field with sandaled, toothless mountain men with a second grade education, and, and I'm not worthy to carry their sandals that were made out of used truck tires. Let's pray. Thank <laughs> you.
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these men. Oh, dear God, bless them. Bless them, Lord. Give them grace. Give them great grace. Raise up people, Lord, to pray for them, to intercede for them. Oh, God, visit them in the night watch. Reveal your love to them, oh, God. Help them. Help us all. Lord, we are so small, so feeble. We need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Please give them something out of this old well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about, because... I never preach well when they assign me a topic, but they've assigned me a topic. <laughs> that I want to start off by saying just kind of where we're going to go in the next four hours. <laughs> First of all, we should be ashamed of our sin. We should be. But we're not ashamed because of him, because of him, all of it, because of him. Therefore, let us trust in Christ alone and not be ashamed. Let us make him our boast. Let us live for Christ and not be ashamed. That the love of Christ would compel us. Let us believe God and not be ashamed. Let's stop trusting in the arm of the flesh. In the power of the flesh. The intellect. Let's learn to trust God and not be ashamed. Let us live and labor for the world to come and not be ashamed. This pathetic, feeble world is passing. It's fleeing. It's being pushed out. Let's not tarry here, except to labor. Let us study, let us pray, let us obey, let us preach, and let us suffer, and not be ashamed in life or death. Let us not be ashamed. Oh, man. Sometimes it feels as though there's... Between me and eternity is nothing but a gray, thin rain. But that's the way it is for all of us. While we have breath, let us serve him. Let us love him. Let us draw near to him. I want to start off, we should be ashamed of our sin. Our first parents were created in the image of God. The old Puritans, John Gill, Matthew Henry, they believed that they were clothed in the glory of God. But then they sinned. And what happened in that sin? They became ashamed of one another, ashamed of themselves. They made aprons to hide 
their guilt. And then when they heard God walking through the garden, they hid behind trees. Why? Because you should be ashamed of sin. Shame is an appropriate response. Even the most holy men struggled with sin and shame. Even the most holy. Listen to Ezra. Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Every one of us ought to be able to identify with that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the last few days of his life, it was said of him that, and he was a holy man. It was said of him that uh, when people would visit him, he would just keep saying the same thing. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. In Psalms 133, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. No one. No one. No one. Let me give you some proof. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm disintegrated. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Oh, give us gospel preaching that would do this to men. That would hurt them so. Why? So that they might see Christ as their only hope. You think if, you know, well, you're quoting Old Testament scripture. Well, try this on for size. Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. We ought to be ashamed. But we're not ashamed. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. If all I did for the next hour was just to say his name, it would be enough. It would be more than enough. Because of Christ. Everything is Christ. Everything else is black and twisted and dark and useless and feeble and stupid. Only Christ. He's not just all we need. He's all we have. We have nothing else but Christ. Why? Isaiah 53 bore sin and our shame before God. All the shame, not just wrath, but all the shame that you should bear and I should bear throughout all of eternity, he bore in our place. 
Listen to what Spurgeon says about him. What Christ suffered by way of shame, we must remember as a picture of what we, have, we would have suffered forever if he had not become our substitute. Oh, my soul, when you see our Lord mocked, remember that shame and everlasting contempt must otherwise have been forever and ever your portion. And think, my soul, this had been your portion, but your master bore it for you. And now you shall never be ashamed because your master was ashamed for you. You shall not be confounded, neither shall you be put to shame, for he was taken, he has taken away your reproach and borne it on his own visage. And as for your rebuke, the rebuke that belongs to you from God, it has entered into his own heart and he has taken it away forever. It shall never be brought to your remembrance. Many of the Puritans, when they talk about the cohort, mocking Christ and spitting upon him, it's possible there are 360 soldiers, maybe more. He was covered in human mucus, beaten and mocked. And that should be my plight and your plight throughout all of eternity. Mocked by devils, mocked by men, and judged by God. But we're not ashamed because He bore our shame. Summarizing the gospel, we may say this because of His work, Christ is not ashamed of us. Do you realize that? I look in the mirror. Of God's word. I look at my own reflection in a real mirror. I'm ashamed. By myself. Supported by my own piety. I'm ashamed. But he's not ashamed. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. You all ought to be rebuked now for not jumping up and screaming hallelujah. He's not ashamed. Why? Because we study our Bibles? Because we try to do good? He's not ashamed because he did it. He fixed the problem. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. When I see a saint who's really, really struggling with their assurance. When they feel like God is constantly has a scowl. I tell them this. I say, dear saint, listen to me. Christ did not shed his blood so that the first time you look at him in heaven, there's a scowl of disappointment on his face. He will be happier to see you than you will be to see him. He's not ashamed, therefore we must not be ashamed. Hebrews 4.16 Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's calling us. Every time we sin, the devil tells us, run away from him. And Christ says, run back to me. And we can do so with boldness, with confidence. 
But make no mistake about it. He's the sole foundation of our confidence. He's the sole foundation of our hope. He's the sole foundation of our courage before the throne of God. You say to me, well, why would you say that you needed courage before the throne of God? If you're asking that question, you don't pray much. Do I have need to quote Isaiah again? Now, the great question is, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? Well, let's look. First of all, let us trust in Christ alone and not be ashamed. Let us take him at his word. That his salvation is everything he says it is. Let's believe it. And not be ashamed. And let's proclaim Christ. To our people, to our churches, to the lost world. Let's, let's preach about sin. Why? Because we want to destroy every hope they have in the flesh so that they'll look to Christ alone. Look to Christ alone. Romans 7, 24, 25, wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's only hope, his only hope. I find it wonderful, absolutely wonderful that the apostle Paul lived Decades serving our Lord, suffering untold sufferings and dying a martyr, yet he's in heaven for the same reason the thief is. Jesus Christ shed his blood for sinners. This is not a competition in the ministry to see who gets in the inner circle in heaven. If you're in Christ, he is the inner circle. He is the inner circle. A parallel passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, 57. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory once again through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing you and I ever contributed to our salvation was our sin. He did it all. He's the captain of our salvation. So let us trust in Christ alone and not be ashamed but also let us live for Christ above all others and not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to live for anyone or anything other than Christ? To set any person as his equal, any activity as his equal. I want you to just look for a moment with me at 2 Corinthians. And I'm going to show you a passage that has meant a great deal to me. The two motivations that drove the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. He goes, our ambition. Everyone has ambition. But he said, our ambition is to be pleasing to him. Now he's going to give us two motivations. One is the moon, the other is the sun. What I'm saying is one is the greater and one is the lesser. Here's the lesser. 
Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is a motivation. Hold it in your heart. Know this, I cannot, even after almost 40 years, I cannot come to a satisfactory conclusion on this matter. I do not know how to reconcile it, so I hold these two truths together. I am wonderfully and completely loved and accepted in Christ and I will stand before the judgment throne of Christ. And that's the motivation. Because he goes on in verse 11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord. But now I want to show you, I've shown you the moon, I want to show you the sun. Look in verse 14. Here's Paul's motivation for the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for God who died and rose again on their behalf. So many people misunderstand this. They think, oh yes, Paul's great love for Christ propelled him to monumental service. That's not what it says. It's not Paul's love for Christ. It's Christ's love for Paul. Even Paul's love went up and down and up and further down. You say, how do you know that? Because he was a man. Stop exalting men. You say, well, Paul didn't know my weakness. He absolutely did know your weakness. As a matter of fact, he may have known greater weakness. If my love for Christ is my motivation, my love goes up. My love goes down, my love goes up, my love goes down. But the love of Christ for me is constant. It is constant. Do you see that? You see, this this is what it's all about. I am known throughout the world as someone who preaches on sin, who preaches hard, who preaches righteousness. One time a reporter came up to me. He was so furious. He goes, why do you keep talking about sin? I said, because I want you to see the love of Christ. And this is the only way. This is the dark tunnel through which you must pass to truly understand. I have read the scriptures. I know something of what I am. And in light of that dark cloud peering over it and above it, through it and around it, is the love of Christ. The greatest service you can do for your church, the greatest service you could possibly ever do for your congregation is teach them how much God loves them in Christ. That's what strengthens us. You see, you take two women, one of them is both of them serving their husbands to the same degree, but one of them is miserable and tired and frightened and the other one is full of joy and energized. What's the difference? This woman serves her husband so that he will love her. This woman serves her husband because he does love her. Oh, the power of the love of God. It will make the weakest man be willing to walk through the most hellish land preaching the gospel with a near certain death sentence on his head. 
That's all you need. How do I live in this world and not be ashamed? Think of the love of Christ for you. How can you fall in sin? How can you say so many stupid things as I and not be ashamed? The Puritans used to say for every, for every one single inward glance, look ten times at Christ. Look ten times at Christ. Trust in Christ alone and be not ashamed. Let us live for Christ and not be ashamed. And now here's one. Let us believe God and his promises and not be ashamed. Do you know in many ways you've lost your inheritance? You see, there's this group out there, they're name it, claim it. They talk about the promises of God more than the one who gave the promises and everything else. And you know what we do? We overreact. And we don't live by the promises. We don't recognize their inerrant, infallible, immutable promises And we need to learn as men to stop trusting in the arm of the flesh, stop trusting in the arm of academics, stop trusting in the arm of the intellect and begin to cling to Zion's king and all his promises. Is it not a shameful thing when we do not trust the promises of God? Is it not a direct affront, a direct attack against his person and character? God says this in Jeremiah 2.5, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? Where did they find an error in me so that they traded me for other gods? Has God ever given anyone a reason not to trust him? No. Listen to Joshua, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you and not one of them has failed. You take all the believers from the first man redeemed to this very moment. You'll not find one of them that can lay a charge against Yahweh. He has kept every promise. So why not trust him? Let me ask you this. Has anyone ever succeeded by doing that which was right in their own eyes? Study sacred history. Did it go well for anyone who chose their own wisdom over God's? How did it work for you? It's worked horribly for me. And does it not always lead to shame? Yes. It always leads to shame. Isaiah 129, Surely you will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. He said, you chose idols over me. You chose to trust in false gods over me, and you will be ashamed. Isaiah 25, Then they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and Egypt, their boast. You trusted in men rather than me, princes and kings rather than me. And he says in Psalms 146, do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God. 
In Psalms 25, 3, we get our word. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. We need to study God to know the character of God. We need to study God's promises. And we need to walk based upon those promises. We need to trust him. If you're a young man here and you're going into the ministry, know this. The more you trust in the arm of the flesh, the less you will see the power of God. Sometimes I feel like a a stained glass window. You know how they make those, don't you? They take whole pieces of glass and they take a hammer to them and they break them into pieces and then they put them back together. Spurgeon said, I, I bless the waves that cast me upon the rock. Jowett wrote a book, School of Calvary, to the degree that God is going to use a man. The man is going to suffer. God's going to break him. Break him. And break him. Break him. Another. Let us live for the world to come. And not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to invest our lot in this fallen and fleeting world? Is it not a vain and stupid thing to live for a few short years in a fallen world, in a fallen body, with a fallen mind? Is it not stupid? Is it not the epitome of absurdity? It is. First John chapter 2 tells us, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. The verb could also be translated this way. The world is being pushed out. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Lives forever. Look for a moment over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These are the Old Testament saints who only caught the smallest glimpse of Messiah. And the smallest glimpse of Messiah was enough to have them say to their worlds, to Egypt, to Babylon, I do not belong to you. I am an exile and a stranger and I am not ashamed. This is not my home. And they did that with just the smallest glimpse. It goes on. Verse 16, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They are not ashamed to be called exiles and strangers, and God is not ashamed to be their God. This wretched, stinking world. We are here. We exist only on rescue mission. That's why we're here, to serve him. Every thought, every breath, every beat of the heart, it's for him. It's for him. If it's for anything else, it's idolatry. It's for him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is in Romans 2.7. It said, a... Let us be those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. Sounds very Spartan, doesn't it? There's no feminine Christianity here. It's about men going off to war. Sometimes when I'm going into a situation that my wife knows I'm going to get a whole lot of trouble in, she'll look at me and she'll go, Spartan, come back carrying your shield or them carrying you on it. One time I came back and I was very sad and I was moping. I said, I don't know what to do. She said, I'll tell you what to do. You need to man up and get back out there. Look at this. Some people live for TikTok. Some people live for clothes and cars and stupid, silly things. You and I get to live for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. My goodness, what's wrong with us? A man who's tasted a fight, I don't know what it does. It gets in him, and he just wants to fight. There's an adrenaline rush. There's the feeling of being alive. That's what kind of men I pray that God would raise up. So let us live for the world to come. I what a world. What a world. Eye has not seen, ear not heard, not entered into the heart of man, not even the greatest poet, not even Milton. Now let's go on a bit more practical. Let us study and not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to neglect the most precious and necessary gift that God has given us apart from himself? His word. Look at our privilege, Matthew 13, 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you know what drives some men? One word, privilege, privilege, privilege. If Jewish tradition is right, and Isaiah, for just a glimpse of the Messiah, was willing to be cut in two with a wooden saw, those of us who have seen him, who know of his death 
and his resurrection and his ascension and his seating, being seated down at the right hand of God. Those of us who know that he's the one who opens all the seals and administrates the plan of God on earth. How much more are we privileged? How much more should we be willing to lay down our lives? Look at our privilege. Look at Daniel 12, 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is not exaggeration. I think of some some of my dear friends, preachers in the northern mountains of Peru. The boldest Bravest men I've ever met. Sandals made out of used truck tires. Big sombreros on their head and a poncho. Ragged, unshaven. Hands as tough as shoe leather. My brother Heraclito going into the town and preaching. They beat him with canes until they got so tired they sat down and listened to him. (laughs) I think of those men and I think one day, one day, they will have such an appearance that if I were to cast my eyes upon that appearance now, I would have a tendency, as Lewis said, to fall down and worship. That's what's waiting for us. You see, we don't need stuff here. We don't need stuff here. We shouldn't even want it. Because everything we put away for him, an extra way to glory. Everything we suffer, an extra way of glory. Man, makes you want to rip this pulpit in two, doesn't it? Let us study and not be ashamed because of our privilege. Let us do what we're commanded to do. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Let me say this. I am a, a, a lover of good books. I love the Puritans. Spurgeon. So many. Octavius Winslow, Flavel, J.C. Philpott. But you give me two young men, and both of, them have the, both of them have the exact same theology. Identical. But one of them got his out of a systematic theology, and the other one got his out of the Bible. I will see a difference in power. Yes, you need to read books. You need to read systematic theology. Yes, yes, yes. But nothing replaces the book. The book. You should devour this book. When they cut you, it should be what they said of Bunyan. He'd bleed the Bible. 
John Owen, one of the greatest minds I have ever encountered. Yet how he marveled at that tinker. Let us be like Ezra and the ideal Levitical priest of Malachi. Ezra 7.10 For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He set his heart to study to practice, and to teach. Never forget, Jesus said, teach them everything I commanded you, not teach them everything I commanded them. Malachi 2, the ideal priest, he revered me, says Yahweh, and he stood in awe of my name. You can't do that apart from studying scripture and living a life of prayer. You just can't do it. I don't care how many conferences you go to. He revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is just a shadow of what you and I are supposed to be. Yeah, this is your standard. Let us study and not be ashamed. Now, let us pray and not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to neglect prayer when God has promised to bless it so much? This old saint in his 80s, when I was a brand new Christian, in God's providence, did me... A great, great service. He handed me books by E.M. Bounds and the autobiography of George Mueller. And of all the men in my life, all the ancients, church fathers, if you had to say what's the one man who's had the greatest impact on your life, it would be George Mueller. There's no limits. There's limits in some areas, right? Like, sometimes I come here and there's Dr. MacArthur, Dr. Lawson, Vody Bauckham, and all these guys, and I'm sitting there at a table, and I think the only thing I can do better than these guys is I can skin a buck faster than they can. <laughs> I know how to run a trot line and jug for catfish, but other than that, I am pretty much just need to be the one who brings in the meals. But everybody can pray. I'll never have their mind. I'll never have their knowledge. I'll never know which fork and spoon to use at a table. <laughs> Anybody can pray. Spurgeon said if you gave him an option between preaching and praying, he would pray. Bethany Jones said, you'll never understand my husband as evangelist if you don't first 
understand him as a man of prayer. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, oh, yes, the discipline of prayer. No, throw the word discipline out. You don't need to increase your discipline. You just need to increase your view of your weakness. And his willingness to show himself strong among the weakest of men. Prayer. Look at these promises. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. I knew a man, he just passed away. His name was Valard Zuki. He ran a gravel pit in Iowa. And I'd always heard of him for years and years like some mythological cryptid. I would hear about this man who was a man of prayer. One day I met him out in the parking lot. This man walked to, he started coming near me and he was pointing. He goes, are you, you're Paul. Say what you want. Call me what you want. The moment I looked at him, I broke down sobbing. There was such a sense of God upon the man. Run a gravel pit. I remember a, a, a dear saint from La Mission Suiza, the Swiss mission, among the Aguaruna. I'd always heard about her. Hermana Doris, Sister Doris. I commandeered a boat. I got down to where she was at the Aceradero, which was an old sawmill in the jungle. I saw that that was her hut. I got ready to go near it, and a guy with a machete stopped me, and he said, no, Hermana Doris is sleeping. I said, okay. He said, you can sit there on the ground. Okay. man has a machete. He listened to him. <laughs> and she came out of there, and when I saw her, I just wept. I said, oh, you're being emotional. Some of you could use a little emotion. Men and women of prayer. Of prayer. And their faces, they're never ashamed. They're radiant and not ashamed. Psalms 81.10, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Do you hear that? But see, he didn't just bring you out of Egypt through a bunch of plagues. He brought you out of the bondage of sin by the blood of his own son. So how much more does this promise belong to you? Open your mouth wide. And I'll fill it, he says. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Oh, that there would be some. Jacob in here who would wrestle with the angel of the covenant. Oh, that there would be a man in here that would grab a hold of the horns of the altar and not let go. Prayer. 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 Let us be like the watchmen on the walls in Isaiah 62. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. 
men that are great troublers of God. You'll never be a troubler in Israel as a prophet if you're not a troubler of God on your knees. Oh, to walk with him. Oh, to pray. And the night watch. Oh, those visitations. Strengthening. Making a man something he's not. Let it not be said of us. In Isaiah 64, 7, there is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. Let it not be said of us, I searched for a man among them, from Ezekiel 22, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. No. They're all looking to the television trying to find some conservative political hope. You need to understand, there's no hope in men for this nation. There is one who sits at the right hand of God who throws down nations and raises others to take its place. Call out to him if you want help. Let it not be said, you do not have because you do not ask. I am, I guess, if I were to put myself in a camp or a form Baptist, I hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I believe everything has been decreed before the foundation of the world. And I also believe you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You see, young man, listen to me. You're going you're gonna to go through life. Preacher, and you're going to see gifted men. They can outrun you with their mind. They can outrun you with their mouth. They've got so much talent, so many gifts, and you look at yourself as a beggar. You're blessed if you allow that recognition of how beggarly you are, if you make it cause you to throw yourself upon God. Where the weak become strong and the things that are not become something. Become something. Let's go on. Let us obey and not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to possess such knowledge of Christ and walk in disobedience? We always need this warning as ministers of Christ, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Oh, how easy it is for me to delude myself. Spout off all this theology, but can you? Are you consistent in the least of the commands or the greatest of them? Romans 2, you who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. This one. 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do you ever sit up at night sometimes and run this through your mind? You should. And even worse, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you see? Let us be like the psalmist who said, Oh, that my way may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Psalms 119, 5 and 6. Again, Psalms 119.80, May my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. Drawing to a close now. Let us preach and not be ashamed. Is it not a shameful thing to possess such knowledge and not preach it? No, let me say it this way. Is it not an impossible thing? To truly know the gospel and not speak of the gospel. Jeremiah said, For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction. Because of me, the word of God has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Or because for me, the word of God has resulted in approach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name than in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. Subjective, yes. Real, yes. Never forget the Christian life, the Christian ministry and preaching is to be supernatural or you should just go home. Mark eight thirty eight, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. A warning. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Oh, the fear of man, what a horrible, deadly thing. But how can you get get beyond it? Well, I'm not so sure you have to. You just need to learn how to draw a comparison. Let's say that there's a man my size and I I need to fight him and I refuse. Because I'm afraid. What could make me fight him? Greater courage, I suppose. But here's something else to think about. Let's say I don't want to fight him. He's 6'2", 210. I don't want to fight him. But then they bring another man in the room, 8 feet tall, 400 pounds. And they say, now you have a choice. (laughs) I know who I'm going to fight now. (laughs) I learned this a long time ago. I do the same thing with God. I can fight men or I can fight God. I'd rather fight a nation than fight God. So see, I don't have to be any braver than before. I just need to read the comparison. Let us be like the psalmist who said, I will walk in liberty for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and I shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments which I love. Now, here's what I want you to think about. You probably focused in on, I will speak your testimonies before kings and not be ashamed. You said, yes, that, but how could he do that? 
It's because of the two verses, the one before and the one after. He could speak God's testimonies before kings and not be ashamed. Why? Because those commandments, those precepts allowed him to walk in liberty. They had set him free. He had experienced the power of those precepts. And he also loved them. Now, this is why I think the Apostle Paul may have had this text in mind when he said what he said in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so many times, you almost never, in commentaries and everything, the salvation of which Paul is speaking is always directed outward from him. That through the preaching of the gospel, he saw Jews converted and Greeks converted, and that is true. But more importantly, he saw himself converted. He experienced the power of the gospel. Do you see the difference? He knew it. He was a murderer. He was an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. He persecuted Christ. And he was changed on that road. You see, it's men who are transformed by the gospel that preach the gospel. That's why I have seen drunks and drug addicts and the vilest that society would consider vile and get genuinely converted and they would fight hell with a water pistol because they knew, they felt, they experienced the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's finish by saying, Let us suffer and be unashamed. How can we be unashamed in suffering? Well, we could go back to an inward look. And we could do so because we're so pious. Or we could do so because we're so disciplined. Or we could do so because we have such a strength of will. But I don't think that's what our Christianity ought to be made of. How can we be unashamed in suffering? Because we know whom we have believed in. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. It's a big God. A big God. When I was a young missionary, just 27, 28 years old, uh, someone sent me, I had kind of studied in a liberal seminary, kind of mediocre, sort of conservative. I was working in Peru. Someone sent me a big eight-track tape-looking thing, and I stuck it in the little TV about this big that I had. And it was R.C. Sproul. And the holiness of God. Much of my life I can trace back to that event. I remember the first, I don't know how long, wasn't more than a few minutes sitting back against the back of the chair watching. Then I noticed myself kind of sitting upright. And I noticed myself leaning forward. Then I noticed myself on my knees. Then I noticed myself on my face. And I realized I had never seen a God like that. A God like that. 
when you have a God like that, well, you can do a lot. People used to ask me, they say, how is it that you've gone into so many jungles and so many bad places and everything and you are still living? It's because of the people I'm with. It's because when I'm in the jungle, I'm with people in the jungle who love me and care for me and know I'll die in five minutes without them. When I'm in some inner city, I'm with some guy in the inner city who got converted but used to be in prison and everybody is really scared of him. (laughs) It's not anything about inward strength or being astute or clever or some kind of Indiana Jones. It's always about who, who you're with. And I would feel so confident with many of my friends around the world. I can go just about anywhere if my friends are there. Well, when you have a God like we have, everything is possible. That which is not becomes something that is. That which is weak becomes strong. He loves you so much. You don't have to move an half an inch to your left or your right for him to love you more. You don't have to become more successful in the ministry for him to love you more. You don't need to be known on YouTube for him to love you more. You don't have to have other people love you for him to love you more. He just loves you. Knowing that love... And knowing how big he is, just go forward unashamed because he's done it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you for your help. Lord, bless these men. Please bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.